So we were talking this morning about detachment, and we'll go back to this uh, text. How did you like the text that we're looking at? Do you find it a bit too intense, the way we're doing it? No. Giving you a headache? No. Um, so we'll, we'll go back to it, because it has, I think, a lot to teach us about... Um, <coughs> our approach to meditation and the context in which we meditate today. Um, but just one uh, thing I'd like to look at is, um, before we meditate now, is this question of, is there only one way? And that question, I think, uh, can be understood in different, uh, with different meanings. Uh, the text we've been looking at clearly have a vision of a way. The Tao is a way, a way that cannot be named. It's a very, it, in a, it, it, and there's a very clear uh, perception it's not exactly a definition, but a very clear perception of the nature of this way. And I think we, we, we see the same coming through the Upanishad. There are, there's, there's a certain direction, uh, and there are false directions. And, uh, to get, and we easily get lost in false directions. Human beings get lost, fallible. We are easily seduced by temptations. We're not all like Jesus can tell the devil to go and take a hike. Uh, we easily delude ourselves. And that's the worst form of delusion. And most difficult to get over. And most painful. Any of you remember reading the novel by Jane Austen called Emma? Yeah. So Emma is this uh, young woman well-to-do young woman in the English village and she's very smart, very bright and uh, her sort of older friend, mentor who actually loves her, although she doesn't realise it Mr Knightley Mr Knightley, Mr. Knightley. and uh, Emma's uh, great uh, fun in life is uh, matchmaking and setting up Girls, it's a real girly book, you know, but uh, uh, it's all setting up uh, uh, marriages. And she is disastrous at it. She. Uh, I'm sorry. Sorry. Yeah. So she, um, she puts the wrong people together. She, see what's going on in somebody's mind, she's easily deceived by others and she deceives herself that she's, you know, very smart and, and eventually uh, there's a complete disaster and uh, the only thing that saves her is Mr. Knightley's uh, love for her and uh, eventually, of course, she opens her eyes and sees this is true love and this, he's the one who loves her. And um, everybody marries, goes off and marries the right person. Uh, because it's a comedy, not a tragedy. If it was a tragedy, they'd all end up dead. And in comedy, they all end up getting married. So, uh, 
fun stuff. So, um, anyway, and there's this wonderful moment, though, and Jane Austen is, is a very profound commentator on human manners, but also on deep issues. And in her little space where she writes, she sees very deeply into the mind and feelings. And anyway, what she is a beautiful description of Emma's disillusionment. When her, all her elaborate, clever, funny, sophisticated self-delusion just totally evaporates. And she's left in this state of complete uh, humiliation, really, and shame and feeling of stupidity. And so it's at that moment, of course, that she begins to become enlightened. And then she sees where the love really is in her life. So... Uh, these texts, I think, in, in a similar way, recognize that we can't reduce the way to a series of propositions, to a philosophical message, to, to moralistic uh, ideas, or to creeds. And clearly this wisdom... It doesn't belong to any one of these traditions that we've been looking at. There's a unique manifestation of wisdom in each of these traditions. But uh, so they they have a clear perception. There is a, a way of wisdom, a way to truth, a way to being, and there is another way, a way of non-being, in which you get lost and screwed up and make life miserable for yourself and other people, and. Sooner or later, and the sooner the better, you realize that. You realize that you are uh, not living the life that you could be living and, and are meant to be living. And at that moment, there is a shift, a change in perception. So anyway, there is a, a clear understanding that although this can't be reduced to legalism or moralism, morality, there is a, there, there is a clear distinction between the right way and the wrong way, between illusion and reality. So in that sense, I think we can say there's only one way, because truth is truth. And there are some Buddhist philosophies that you know, argue a lot about whether there is one truth or there are many truths. And you could have endless conversations with Buddhist philosophers about that and what truth means, and so on. But uh, I think for our purposes, we'd say there is, there is a, a, um, a way of, to truth, and there is a way into illusion. So in that sense, there is only one way, and it's the way of being. And that way of being is manifest in the, in the practice or the discipline of stillness, above all. Stillness. Silence, meditation. The Tao speaks primarily, uses this word stillness, <clears throat> and the Upanishad will speak directly about meditation. So, in that sense, yes, we could say there's only one way. But does that mean there's only one way of meditation? And 
this brand of meditation is the only way. Well, I was once listening to a, a, a teacher, Indian teacher, who actually said that. Uh, he, he was speaking, uh, I thought, rather vaguely, um, and avoiding all mention of meditation. And he was basically promoting his own product. And uh, so I said, at one point, I said, what, what do you think about meditation? And he said, we don't do meditation. You, to meditate, you have to be, you can only be a monk. You have to be in a very, very rigorous, very difficult, very, very, uh, you know. So we don't, it's not for ordinary people. So I said, okay. So uh, there are there there is of course uh, a tendency in if for anyone who has found the way for them to say this is the only way, and every other way is inferior. So we have to watch for that because uh, that would take you off the way into the way of illusion. You would be tempted by power or by uh, one of the many temptations. You would be distracted from the path. Uh, and that would be true even of the way we speak about our own faith. If we have a belief system or a faith, to think and speak about it in that way would be, would be to, pretty certain to betray the original teaching. So, the point of this is to say about meditation uh, as we're teaching it. So we're not saying, and John May never said, this is the only way to heaven, or it's the only way to enlightenment, or it's the only way to meditate. And of course there are other practices, other ways. Uh, but I think they, they all have to have something, any, anything that would be seen or felt to be a valid and authentic way would have something in common with each other. It would have to be this quality of attention, this quality of stillness, <clears throat> this quality of simplicity, uh, this quality of silence. And if this contemplative practice, and we're talking about a particular, if this contemplative practice is to work, is to be your way, then it needs to be grounded in a, some sustained form of practice, a discipline. We don't like the word discipline today very much because it suggests a lack of freedom. And we like to be free. We like to choose. But discipline is a universal element of all the wisdom traditions we're talking about. But it's the kind of discipline that's not imposed from the outside, not by any external authority. The only discipline that works is the discipline that you, we, recognize and accept and undertake freely and joyfully. And then discipline sets us free. As John May speaks about this. Discipline will set you free if it's accepted freely. But discipline that is imposed upon you, 
somebody makes you feel guilty if you don't do something, if you don't go to church or you don't say the five times of prayer or whatever it may be. Any sort of external compulsion uh, defeats the purpose. The word discipline comes from the Latin that means to learn. We don't mind accepting a discipline if you want to learn the guitar, or a discipline if you want to win a gold medal at the Olympics, or a discipline if you want to become a consultant uh, doctor, or a discipline if you want to I don't know, become a plumber. So we don't, uh, or a London taxi driver will spend two years working on the knowledge, driving around London on a bike. So a discipline is something we freely accept, and we accept as we accept joyfully because we can see that it's going to set us free. So I think uh, any form of meditation that has this that is consistent with the way, the one way, the only way, is uh, is going to have these, some of these qualities or these essential qualities. Now, we teach a particular form of meditation with the mantra, and uh, the reason, and that corresponds to this, these qualities of attention, stillness, perseverance, discipline, and so on. Uh, one uh, interesting and important aspect of this particular discipline is, of course, that you will find teaching on the mantra, on the repetition of a, of a word in this way in all the traditions. So it does tr truly have a universal, um, a universal sort of passport. So, um, so I think that's, that's one thing. The other thing is, whatever way you choose, I think it is in, in the Zen uh, Wisdom, they say, it's better to dig deep in one well and hit the spring uh, of the source uh, than to dig lots of little holes all over the garden because you need to dig deep in order to find the source, the spring. So, um, so this is what this is why we we. Uh, this is the context, really, of understanding in which we, we present this way of meditation, with mantra. And uh, I think it, uh, it has these uh, things to recommend it. But if you, if you choose to follow another discipline, of course, it's fine. One discipline that's true will resonate with any other discipline that is true. But um, there is something... Uh, anyway, we, we feel this is simple, accessible, universal, and, um, and clear. So that's, that's, those are the reasons why we, <coughs> why we teach it and focus on this. <coughs> it's in no way meant to, meant to uh, diminish or, or claim to be the only way in a narrow sense or diminish the validity of other of other parts. Is that okay? Any any questions about that? Anyone would like to? Or comments?
So if you if you feel you know oh, going on about saying the mantra again, I mean I don't think anybody has said this. <laughs> uh, uh, if if anybody feels that well, that's why I'm going on about the mantra again. <laughs> and uh, but it doesn't mean I'm trying to force you to to do it. You can do your own thing if you like, of course. But for those who are doing it, it is actually very useful to have someone going on about it because it's something that very easily slips. It's so simple, so simple, that we very easily uh, slip uh, off it or away from it. And so, you know, when you come together to meditate with other people, and I think that is one of the most powerful things you can do to sustain your, your practice, coming together to meditate with other people, that's basically what one of the elements of the coming together is, a, is to remind each other what we're doing. I remember some years ago in Montreal, we had, um, we had regular groups and there was one woman came every, every week and then she said she was going off to um, uh, the Arctic for a year. So she took some books with her and some tapes and didn't see her for a year. And then when she came back, she came to the group again. And uh, she said to me afterwards, I'm so relieved, she said. <laughs> she said, because you're all, I think Father John, John Mayne was giving the talks, he, she said, you're still saying the same thing. <laughs> and she said, I was up there practicing this faithfully, pretty usually on my own, and then just before I came back I thought, oh my god, I wonder if they've gone and changed <laughs> teaching something different. So there's something, this is a, it, it, it's a question of how you see it, and if you feel uh, drawn to it, and if you see that this is a, a discipline that you can freely and want to freely uh, undertake. That's what it is.